Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. Did you ever watch the news and find yourself just shaking your head in amazement at the state of the world? All it takes is a casual glance at the headlines of a major news magazine to remind us of the moral condition of the world. Topics that just a few short years ago were discussed in private and in hushed tones are now screaming from page one. Homosexuals are demanding respectability and recognition in the community as legitimate alternative lifestyles, and they are receiving it. Illicit sexual activity, scandal, unlawful fundraising, and so much more is rampant among those who serve our country in positions of political prominence. Living together without being married is commonplace and for the most part socially acceptable. More than 50% of first babies are now born in this country to single women. I watched an interview of a television producer on one of the news programs and he was talking about the tremendous progress that they had made in what was allowed on network TV. The progress to which he was referring was nudity and profanity. Thinking of our society, I'm reminded of a statement found in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 16 concerning the Chaldeans. The verse begins with, Thou art filled with shame for glory. That's interesting. The things that they gloried in were things that were truly should have been ashamed of. It is the same today. People participate in and advocate and defend all sorts of ungodly things and then talk about how open-minded and loving they are because of it. What has caused such a decline in the moral standards of our country? The Apostle Paul stated the problem so succinctly in Romans chapter 3 and verse 18 as he quoted from the book of Psalms and wrote, There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is so true. The world in general has lost its reverence and awe for the very one who spoke the worlds into existence who created and breathed life into man and who sustains us by the very air that we breathe, the water we drink, and the food we eat. Men have lost their fear of God, not because God is in any way undeserving of that veneration, but because man has sought to elevate himself. Look at how Paul described the Gentile world of the first century in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 19 and see how closely it resembles the world of today. He wrote, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, 
that ye walk henceforth not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Unfortunately, as men become more and more affluent and knowledgeable, they develop a tendency to depend less and less on God for guidance and help. They neglect his word, and because of that, they refuse to fear him. We all know the conclusion that Solomon reached after trying so many different avenues to find meaning, contentment, and satisfaction in his life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, Solomon wrote, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, my friends, this fear of God is not a quivering, shaking anxiety and dread, not at all. It is to view God with reverential awe combined with the wholesome dread of displeasing him. He is God. All things are within his hand. This fear then becomes the basis for godly living. I'd like to spend the rest of our time talking about just some of the reasons why man should fear God, and more than that, why God deserves such. First, God is omnipotent. All that really means is almighty. He has all authority, sovereignty, and power. One of the very words translated as God, Elohim, means might, power, almightiness. We must understand that the power of God is unlimited. There is nothing too hard for him. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Isaiah wrote, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God never grows weary. He never gets tired. The Old Testament is filled with examples of his immense and unlimited power. He caused the entire earth to be flooded destroying the wicked and saving only Noah and his family. He was the source of the terrible plagues that descended upon the Egyptians. He caused the sun to stand still at the request of Joshua in Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 5 and read verses 21 and 22. This is God speaking through Jeremiah, and he said, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. 
Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it? Have you ever marveled at the incredible power of the oceans? And yet God keeps them in their boundaries. How can anyone refuse to fall in reverence and honor and and godly fear? before such an omnipotent being. Of much greater consequence than this, however, is what we find in Hebrews 10, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. There Jesus said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The destroy in this verse does not mean extinction or loss of being. It means loss of well-being. The point is, another aspect of his unlimited power is the power to punish, which he will do. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9 through tells us, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall reveal from heaven with his mighty angels, and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. On the other hand, for those who turn to him in penitent, obedient faith, he has the power to forgive sins and to give eternal life. The Bible tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Fear God, for he is all-powerful. Secondly, God is omnipresent. What that means is simply present in all places at all times. Let's go to Psalm 139, and we'll read verses 7 through 13. David wrote these wonderful words. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven... Thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. God's eyes, my friends, are, as Solomon said, in every place beholding the evil and the good. He is a God at hand, and a God afar off. No one can hide in a secret place where God can't see them, because he fills heaven and earth. I love the way Isaiah put it in Isaiah 66 and verse 1. He wrote, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? God's presence fills all space until the heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, as we find in 1 Kings 8 verse 27. Such a being as the omnipresent God is far above our understanding 
and yet man as a whole exhibits no fear, no pious reverence. In the third place, God is omniscient, meaning that God has infinite awareness, understanding, and insight. He is possessed of universal or complete knowledge. In other words, there is nothing that can be known that God does not know. This omniscience of God is beyond our finite comprehension. Look with me at Psalm 147, verses 4 and 5. It tells us, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord, and of great power his understanding is infinite. You have got to come with me to Proverbs 3 and see what Solomon says in verses 19 and 20. He said, The Lord by wisdom has founded the earth. By understanding he has established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. Friends, the God of heaven is perfect in knowledge, according to Job chapter 36 and verse 4. In Job 37 and verse 16, God asked Job, Dost thou know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge? In Job 42, 2, Job answered God and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9, David said to Solomon, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. What else can man logically do? but to fear the one who is able to declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, as God is able to do according to Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Jesus said that God knows all of our needs before we ask him in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8. And then in Matthew chapter 10 verses 29 and 30, Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And the Hebrew writer told us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In truth, the omnipotence, the omnipresence, and the omniscience of God should strike fear into the heart of any clear-thinking person Again, I make the point that this is not a quaking, quivering, terrified kind of fear that we're talking about. It is a reverential awe combined with a wholesome dread of displeasing him. He is God. Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The very foundation of knowledge is reverence for God. 
Without a fear of God and a recognition of his word, there is nothing by which to monitor and control man's conduct, no criteria by which we evaluate his activities. It's just like it was so frequently in the days of the judges. Judges 17.6 gives us this description of the people. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Therein lies the moral decline of our day. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no acknowledgement of his standard of authority. There is no respect for his laws. In truth, there is really only one hope for this generation and for all of those who follow. That hope is a return to a reverence for God Almighty. That godly fear must be manifested by a willingness to conform our wills to his. It must be manifested by a willingness to accept his standard of conduct and to walk by his law. Without it, there is no hope. I'd like to close with the words of the psalmist in Psalm 33 and verse 8, where he pleaded, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And with the words of Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Wonderful things to think about. Thank you so very much for listening.